0: Well, Christmas is an astonishing time, I think, for for lots of different reasons. I'm invited each year by the Edinburgh City Council and churches together to a nativity carol concert uh, in St. Andrew's Square. And so here we are in 2021 in secular Scotland, and we're a long way from Israel. And in our city, there's kind of an event that recognizes 2,000 years ago, a Jewish baby was born in Israel, who was their long-promised king. Um, The Hebrew word for that king is called Messiah. That's how we say it in English. And the Greek word for that same king is Christ. And so when you hear me say Messiah or Christ, it means king. So I'm going to use them all the time today. But just stop for a moment. Think about that. That's extraordinary, isn't it? 21st century Scotland. Here we are, 2,000 years on, and remembering a Jewish baby. And uh, we've never done, I think, a census in our church of people's ethnicities, but I'm not aware that many of our 600 members would say that they came from a Jewish family. The vast majority of us here are from non-Jewish ethnic groups but we're really going to enjoy singing um, about Jesus who is the Christ King. Now the Orthodox synagogue in Edinburgh has about 125 members maybe there's about a thousand Jewish um, people living in this city and I don't think many of them will be celebrating Jesus as their Messiah and so this is a puzzle is it not? Why are so many Gentiles, non-Jewish people like us, rejoicing in Jesus as the Messiah King? Well, most of, the, of our Jewish friends will not. And this paradox was exactly the same in the first century AD. The Apostle Paul, in chapters 9 to 11 in the, in the book of Romans, he is reflecting on this strange reality. The churches that he established were full of people from ethnic groups, who'd put their trust in Jesus as their Messiah and risen Lord, While his own Jewish people, many of them were hardened to this message and rejected Jesus as their Messiah. So open your Bibles again to uh, Romans chapter 9. Or if you've got it on your phone, just open up your app. Romans chapter 9 and uh, look again at verse 30. Romans 9 verse 30. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, uh, the pagan nations, not particularly famous for wanting to do the right thing before God. Uh, The very nature of pagan activity gives you a flavor of that. The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it. A righteousness that is by faith. But... Verse 31, but the people of Israel who pursued the law as a way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it, not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Now what is... What is, what is this stone that they stumbled over? Well, look at verse 33. As it is written, and then this is quoting, and God speaking from the Old Testament. See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So a bit of background then this morning about this imagery of a stone. God declares in Psalm 2, he says this, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. And God declares to this king, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance The ends of the earth, your possession. Even as the the, the leaders, the world leaders, uh, seek to attack this king, God says, no, I've established this king. And all he's got to do is ask me, and I'll give him all the nations as his inheritance. So the imagery of the sun installed in Zion, king over all. Now, in Mark's gospel, chapter 12, Jesus tells a parable uh, about these tenants that unmistakably foretold what would happen in his own death that would take place in Jerusalem. Tenant farmers decide to take over a vineyard and they refuse to acknowledge the owner who'd actually created the vineyard and, and allowed them to be tenant farmers within it. And uh, he sent messengers. They, they, he wanted to get a share of his harvest. It was his vineyard. He sent messengers. Well, some, that they, some they beat up. And others they killed. And then last of all, the the owner says, I'll send my son. They will respect my son. But the tenants, seeing the only heir, decide to kill him as well. And they throw his body out of the vineyard. What will the owner do, Jesus asked. He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And then he quoted Psalm 118. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it's marvelous in our eyes. The sun rejected. The stone rejected. This stone laid in Zion is none other than the Messiah King. The Son of God. And Jesus says that's me and i'm going to come to my own people and they're going to reject me and they in turn will find that the vineyard my kingdom the place of blessing is going to be opened up now to the to others in their rejection this is what jesus taught he saw himself as god's son come to Israel as the promised Messiah King, to bring in God's everlasting kingdom that would rule over all the nations of the world. And Jesus knew that he would be rejected by the, by the people, he would be killed, and actually that he would be proved to be the true Messiah on the third day when he was raised from the dead. And so the rejected stone would become the cornerstone of God's everlasting kingdom. The death and the resurrection Of Jesus declared that he is this long-awaited Messiah king. But his kingdom is not just for Israel. It's for the whole world. And his kingship is the foundation of that kingdom. It's not so much the, the nationalities, the borders now. It's about all who will submit their lives to this king. They enter his everlasting kingdom. And Paul takes a couple of quotes from the book of Isaiah in Romans chapter 9 here, and, um, which prophesied that when God acted in history in Jerusalem, in Zion, to establish his Messiah, some would stumble over him, while others would believe and submit to him as king. And this pattern of some stumbling... Another submitting to Jesus is exactly what we, saw, what we see and read in his earthly ministry. It is exactly what we see happening in the ministry of Paul. Often he would start going to the synagogue. He would be thrown out the window and off he'd go and, go and preach to the Gentiles. It was a repeated pattern of most rejecting amongst the Jewish people, but the Gentiles gladly hearing. And do you know what? It is still true today. Although wonderfully I keep hearing reports of People uh, becoming Christians who are ethnic Jews. I, I get regular emails of hearing that happening around the world. But Paul is caused, uh, has, has, has this great anguish as he considers this rejection. And actually, what does it do? It spurs him to passionate prayer. Uh, beginning of chapter 10, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Now, if you were here last week, I think it's really important that we hold chapter 10 and chapter 9 together. Uh, Last Sunday, we were looking in Romans chapter 9 about how God shows mercy on some people, but not all. And it's a chapter that sees this whole business of salvation from God's perspective, and someone tearfully said to me on the way out uh, last Sunday, well, is there any point praying for my child who, who, who might not be one of the chosen? Now, just observe, if that's our question, that the same apostle wrote Romans chapter 9, when he sees the hardness of heart of his own people, does not think that. Um, his desire, his passionate prayer to God was for his own people. Now, we don't know who God has chosen. Uh, People become Christians at different stages in their lives. And people who were once very hardened to the gospel can get converted and end up joyfully receiving Jesus as their king and savior at all stages in their lives. And we know that only God can change people's hearts. Only God can overcome hard hearts. And so that's why we pray Why are we having a week of prayer? Because only God can do this work of saving people. Only God can do this work of changing people's hearts. And that's why we must depend upon him and look to him to do that seemingly impossible work of removing stony hearts and giving them soft hearts that are eager to call out to Jesus for salvation. So let's keep praying. Let's pray for our families and our neighbors and our friends and our enemies. Because God can change hearts. And you see, this, this doctrine of election in Romans chapter 9 shouldn't paralyze us. It, it actually should inspire us to persevering and hopeful prayer. God is going to save people as we pray And as we proclaim Christ. Now, Paul prayed for the Israelites uh, that uh, he met that they would be saved. Verse 2 For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. That's why Paul, who uh, had been a strictly observant Jew himself, that's what he would say about his own religious experience before he put his faith in Jesus, he was very zealous. He actively campaigned to persecute these Christians. He was so incensed by this whole idea that this idea that this uh, suffering, crucified man could be the Messiah. He just did, he couldn't take it and so he, he, he persecuted people who believed it, threw them into prison, approved of their, of their, of their death sentence. Paul had been very zealous, but he says now, zealous but wrong. Zealous but ignorant of the truth. And the reason that his own people were stumbling over Jesus and rejecting his claim was because, he says, they had a wrong understanding of their own scriptures, of their Mosaic law. They saw it as a kind of a moral ladder, That by working hard to obey the commands of Scripture, they would climb up the ladder that leads to God. That they would make themselves acceptable to God. That by their strict adherence to the religious rites of the law, like circumcision and the food laws, they were making themselves righteous before God. And they were very zealous for their religious rituals, and they had a deep reverence for the Scriptures, but they were fundamentally wrong. That's sobering, isn't it? Uh, today, we, we we kind of impressed by passionate people. Uh, we love the authentically passionate person. But you know what? You can be very religious, but not right with God. Zealous people can have all the wrong ideas and be very dangerous people. It's true of Christian cults. It's true of radical Islam. It's true of political ideologies. It's true of eco-fanatics. Zeal without understanding is toxic and harmful. And Paul experienced this himself as he was attacked by his own Jewish people for proclaiming Jesus. You see, if you mistakenly believe that you can save yourself, that you can make yourself right with God just by being good or by how obedient you are or how observant you are to religious rules or ceremonies, if you think like that, then you will have no place for Jesus, will you? You'll have no place for this Messiah King. If you think you're the King, that you're basically the one in charge of your own destiny and your own life, uh, then you're going to reject God's King, who is the only way that we can become right with God. You see, the law of Moses was never meant to be a ladder for personal achievement. It was supposed to be a mirror and a signpost. It's a mirror because God's perfect law helps us see ourselves and it reveals our sin. That we fall so far short of God's righteousness. And it's a mirror so that it can also be a signpost, a signpost that points us to the king who will be the rescuer. God's intention was always to send a rescuer king who perfectly obeyed all the laws and commands of God, whose death would pay the punishment for our sin and failure so that God could gift us his righteousness. This is the great news of Christmas, the greatest gift this Christmas. It's not Omicron, is it? It's Jesus Jesus. God says, I will give you my righteousness in my son. And it's a gift for all who will put their trust in him. All who will believe. Look at verse 3. This is the predicament of his own people. He summarizes it. Uh, Since they did not know the righteousness of God, that it was a gift to re- be received by faith, and they sought to establish their own They did not submit to God's righteousness, which is to say they did not submit to Jesus, their king. Verse 4, for Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. And so my first point this morning, it's taken me a long time to get there, I thought I'd show you and then summarize it at the end. My first point this morning, I want to give thanks to Christopher Ash, who helped me this week with a heavy head cold. give me these good headings. Is this, all the Bible points to Christ, the King of all. That's what these opening verses tell us in 9 verse 3 to 10 verse 4. All the Bible points to Christ, the King of all. The whole point of the Bible is to point us to Jesus Christ, the King. He's the culmination of God's law. All of it points forward to him. Every promise, every hope and expectation finds its fulfillment in the Messiah King, in Jesus. He is that King that God promised he would install in Zion, who would bring a rule of blessing that would transform the whole world. And it's by submitting our lives to Jesus as the King that we take refuge in him and we're declared right with God, and that we are saved. And that flows into my second point this morning. All the Bible offers us Christ, the Savior of all. Look at verse 4 again. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. And then Paul basically in this section continues this contrast between a righteousness and that comes by obedience to God's law and a righteousness that is by faith. Look at verse five for the first one. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But righteousness by faith says, do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the law of Moses tells us that you have to be 100% loyal to God. But the problem for us sinners is that we're not 100% loyal. We will never attain this perfect obedience and loyalty to God. But there is a way of righteousness that is by faith. And Paul takes this quote from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, and he riffs on it and he expands on it to show the fullness of what it means in the light of Jesus. There was one person who was 100% loyal and obedient, Jesus, the Messiah King. And if we trust in him, then his life and obedience that fulfills all righteousness, that becomes ours. So you don't have to do spiritual heroics to be right with God, you don't have to sort of somehow climb your way up to heaven. For Christ has come down. That's what we're celebrating this Christmas, the incarnation. Or you don't have to do some heroics and somehow descend into the abyss. For Christ has risen from the dead. And that's what we celebrate at Easter, the the resurrection. We don't have to do these great tasks of ascending higher into the depths. Christ has done it for us. It is simply by believing the good news about Jesus. That he is the Savior King. That was proclaimed by the apostles and written down in the Bible that we're examining today. That it it says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. No moral heroics required. Simply believe. This outward confession that Jesus is Lord and an inner conviction that God raised him from the dead. Now, Jesus is Lord is perhaps the earliest creedal statement in Christianity. Jesus Christ is Lord. And when you link it up with verse 13, it is stunning. If you look at verse 13, um, it Paul quotes from the Old Testament prophet of Joel. And he says this, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now if you look uh, at the Old Testament context of the word Lord there, Joel is using the personal name of God. And so the declaration that Jesus is Lord paired up with this stunning, uh, with this verse, shows you that the stunning claim that uh, that, that Jesus is the divine Son of God. God come in human flesh. When you're saying Jesus is Lord, you're not just saying, look, he's the boss, he's at the top, you're saying he's truly divine. And that his death and resurrection declare him to be God's forever king. Who we gladly submit to and rely upon so that our sins can be forgiven and that we have a right standing before God. So such confessed faith is the way we are saved. It's not by any of our moral achievements. And that's exactly what Jesus taught, wasn't it? Just think about that parable. He told this parable, it says in Luke, uh, to people who were confident of their own righteousness. And they look down on everyone else. This is the great problem you've got if you really think you've made yourself right before God. You really look down your nose at all the other people who are just too pathetic to be as good as you were. It'll destroy churches if people have that view. (coughs) The only thing that will hold people together is understanding that it's all by the grace of God. We're all moral failures, isn't it? So Jesus told this parable to people who were confident of their own righteousness, and he looked down on everyone else he told this story of two men. Two men went up to the temple to pray, he says. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. So what's he doing? He's having the temerity to brag before God about his own moral achievements. But what's the tax collector doing? Well, verse 13 of Luke 18 tells us this. But the tax collector stood at a great distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus gives a surprising conclusion. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other one, the Pharisee, went home justified. Saving faith does not trust in our own righteousness, but it throws ourselves completely on the mercy of God by trusting the good news. This message about Jesus. And that's why we're preparing to celebrate Christmas here in Scotland. And so why is it that so few Jewish people will be celebrating the Messiah and so many Gentile people will be? We'll look at verse 11. Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. The reason there are so many Gentiles celebrating Christmas is that Jesus didn't just come to save the Jewish people who would call on him. He saves all who call on him anyone who believes in him verse 13 everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved and really that's why we want to invite people to come to hear the good news about jesus this christmas tonight and next week and, and christmas christmas day because everyone can be in on this it's for everyone anyone who calls on the name of the lord can be saved and so if you're not a Christian here today, can I say to you, what's holding you back? I, I, I'd love to know if we can help you overcome any things that are holding you back. Because you can call on the name of, of the Lord today, and you can be saved today. Your sins can be forgiven today. You, you can know that you are right with God. You can be declared righteous today. You can actually face life and death with confidence because you've put your faith in the one who rose from the dead and is Lord of heaven and earth. What confidence that gives you in life to have him as your king and savior. And he's the savior king for all people. If you're from a Jewish family, he's your savior and king. If you're from Scotland or North Africa or or, uh, Wales, you can call on him and he will be your savior king. You simply need to pray, admit your sins, believe his promises, confess with your mouth that he is Lord over your life, and you too will be saved. Do you know what? He has never turned anyone away who's come to him in faith, not a single person. You think, well, uh, he wouldn't take me. He's never turned anyone away who comes to him in faith. You will never come to the end of your life, nor stand before God and find any regret and shame if you've wholeheartedly trusted in his son. No shame, no regret, and he'll never turn you away. So all the Bible points to Christ the king of all. All the Bible offers us Christ the savior of all. So third point today is what we need is we need eager preachers of Christ to all And humble hearers. That's what we need. So the good news is for everyone who calls. But the problem is how will people hear this message about Jesus, the Savior King? Look at verse 14 again. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news there are 1.8 billion people in the world who are in unreached people groups they've not heard the good news about jesus now on the way out today you can uh, if you remember you can be given a uh, go prayer booklet uh, alex and carl will have them today and in there there's plenty of prayer points For the world. And each Sunday we've been praying for different ethnic groups. Amongst these unreached people groups. That God would send out. Preachers who will preach the gospel to them. How how will they be able to believe in the one of whom they've not heard? How can they believe in the one they've not even heard his name? And how will they hear unless preachers are sent to them? And so that's why we send gospel partners out. And we're glad to joyfully give money and pray for those who support those who are doing work that's helping the good news spread. I witnessed the joy um, of the Samat people in Papua New Guinea uh, a few years ago receiving the New Testament in their own language because Teresa was sent out by us along with Her fellow translator, Beata, and they'd gone to this remote island uh, off the coast of Papua New Guinea, and uh, they'd learnt the language. They'd worked out how to write it down. They translated the New Testament into their own tongue, and I saw the joy of them receiving their Bibles for the first time. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? What a joy! Is God calling someone here to go? I find Mission Sundays hard because every time I have a Mission Sunday, I think, I need to go somewhere else. Where should I go? Where's the Lord sending me? And then people remind me, no, you've, you've actually got to stay here and keep, keep doing what you're doing. But um, I think these very verses were used by Sarah Prime, uh, who had 10 years of youth work in Grace Mount in this city. And she became convinced that it needed a gospel church. And uh, she very smartly married Andy Prime. And, um, And she got Andy to walk around Grace Mount. And to read and pray over these verses of Romans 10. How will they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And it really was used by God in Andy's life to settle him that, yeah, he needed to move to Mount and plant a gospel preaching church so that people could hear the good news and call upon Jesus and be saved. And that's really why we want to train up more preachers of the gospel here at Shark Chapel. We're looking for who's going to be the next group in 2022 of pastors in training. Please pray for us that we'll find the right people for that. Uh, And if you're interested, come and talk to uh, Liam or myself. Because we need more pastors, evangelists, and preachers all around the world, still in this nation of Scotland. Saving faith comes through hearing the gospel message. That's how people are saved, as they hear people preaching the gospel. And what a privilege it is ours to, to be able to share the good news as a church. Let's make the most of the invitation cards. Let's make the most of the opportunities that we have. You could ask people, do you celebrate Christmas? Would you like to come to a Christmas carol service? It's very easy, I think. And please pray for those who will be preaching. So why so relatively few Jewish people responding compared to the non-Jewish people? Well, is it because they've not heard, it says in verse 18. Is it because they've not heard? Is it because they've not understood, verse 19? No, that's not the reason, he says. Verse 21, another quote from Isaiah. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held up my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. The reason that people don't respond to the message about Jesus is because they don't want to hear. They refuse to trust Jesus, the Messiah, who suffered and died. It's striking, um, In verse 16, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Now, where's that quote from? From Isaiah 53. It's the beginning of the servant song. How God would send one who would have to suffer for the sins of his people. And this is the very stumbling stone that holds people back. The suffering, crucified king. How can this be the Messiah? And people refuse to trust him and instead choose to attain their own righteousness by their religious observance. It's still the case today. People stumble over Jesus rather than submitting to him and finding refuge in him. But you know what? God is holding out his hands. And he's beckoning to you today to come to him, to put your trust in his son if you've not done so already. Oh, my friends, he will richly bless those who come to him. Come to him today. He will richly bless your life for any who call on him today. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you that we have had the privilege of being people who have heard the gospel preached to us that you sent out gospel preachers that they were faithful in the task and that as the message was proclaimed as we heard it from those who shared it with us uh, we were able to believe and call on you to save us and we thank you that we are truly saved oh father give us that same hopeful confidence even as we see kind of a hardness and a rejection in our culture, that we may keep uh, having the boldness to invite others and to keep praying, and that you would do great miracles this Christmas. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to do something a little bit different. Um, We've thought about the confession that Jesus is Lord, and we're going to stand up and we're going to uh, confess a creed that's been true for Christians since about the 4th the century, 325 A.D. was the Nicene Creed. It's a great creed for Christmas time as it reflects on who Jesus is coming in human flesh. So we're going to put it on the screen, so I doubt you know it off by heart. But let's stand. We're going to stand and affirm this creed. Um, when we get to the final statement of what we believe in the church, it's going to speak about the Catholic Church. That's not the Roman Catholic denomination. That word simply means universal. All Christians, that's what it means. So, Christians, what do you believe? We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, Who has spoken through the prophets we believe in one holy catholic and apostolic church we acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come we'll invite the singers to come up and let's remain standing and we'll close with a wonderful hymn Jesus is Lord behold the king of kings and then we get to go out and proclaim. His Lordship and His salvation in the week ahead. So let's sing together.